0: Welcome to the Ewok Podcast, the official podcast of the East Wilton Union Church with Robbie Locke. We're glad you're here, and we hope that this podcast is a blessing to your life and helps you walk closer to God. Our goal is to help you draw close to God and understand Scripture better in its entirety. Well, without further ado, here's Robbie. I've simply entitled this section, the first three verses of the chapter the children of God and actually it's going to carry on this subject right down through the end of verse 10 but we're only studying together verses 1 to 3 this morning I want you to notice as John begins this chapter it's interesting what a contrast to where he has been in just the previous chapter he talks about those who are truly the children of God he refers to them in a tender way as little children And he says we need to abide in him, abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. That means that we need to remain in him in the sense of remaining in ongoing fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do that in two ways. Notice what he says at the end of verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of God. He said listen if you want to walk close to Jesus walk in righteousness because he is the righteousness of God manifested and the closer we are to him the more we live like him the more righteous we will be and we as children of God will enjoy the great blessings of the Father. Now he begins chapter 3 with some very interesting words in the original language because some of these first few words have no literal direct translation into English and so we can only approximate the meaning of them. So let's just begin here. First of all the word behold. It could be translated see, but this word is both a command telling us take a moment to stop and behold something, but it's also an exclamation. It's kind of like saying, Wow! If I did that and I started looking up, and said, Wow, what do you think you probably would do? You'd probably look up, wouldn't you? If I said, Wow, look at that. The roof is falling. No, no, that's not what's happening here. That's kind of the word here when he says, Behold, he's saying, Wow, look at this. It's a command, yes, but it's an exclamation. And then he says this. Now it depends on your translation. What manner of love? the Father hath bestowed upon us, say, what manner of love? That's like, what kind of love? Or how great the love? This is the phrase that is seldom used in the Bible because there is no parallel translation in the English. Now, what does it mean? It occurs seven times in the New Testament and this is what we can pull from those seven passages. First of all, it implies a reaction of astonishment. Now folks, I want you to think about this for a moment. Are you not shocked that God is willing to look at you and to look at me and call us his children? Isn't that an amazing thing? I mean, I can understand him calling Jesus his son. He's he's eternally existed with the Father the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And then he was born into this world in the Incarnation and the Father said, this day have I begotten you. You are my son. I understand that. The miraculous virgin birth. But oh folks, you and me, we're just what? Can you say the word with me without being too worked up about it? We're all what? We're sinners. I thought some of you were going to say you're all good looking, but no one said that. We're all sinners, and we are all sinners. We continue to be sinners, even as children of God. I don't know about you, I had to confess some things this week. How about you? So it isn't that we stop being sinners, but in spite of our still being sinners and having an old nature, God says, listen, I want you to know this. You are my children, and we ought to almost fall back in astonishment that he would even say such a thing. Now, usually connected with this astonishment is the word admiration as well. It's like when I think about God calling me his son, what does it make me do? It prompts a reaction in me toward God himself. I look at him and I think, You are an amazing God that you would love me that way, that you would call me that. Not only am I astonished that you'd look at a sinner and accept him and make him your child, but I am amazed that you are this great and glorious God who would be willing to have a relationship with me. Now, it could be translated, and some have suggested, What glorious, measureless love! That's getting there. What glorious, measureless love the Father has bestowed upon us. Now in studying uh, James Boyce's commentary on this passage, he says that there is also one other little idea that comes into this phrase. And is this idea It could literally be translated, and this is going to sound crazy to begin with, but give me a moment. Behold, what a country. Behold, what a country? What's that all about? It implies great astonishment as if the love of God, listen to this, and I'm quoting from Boyce, is so unparalleled in human experience that John cannot even tell from what country the idea comes from that's the idea it's so amazing so astonishing you say who ever thought up that idea so it gives this idea of behold what a country one is suggested That 1 John 3, 1, the first part of it could be translated this way. Behold what peculiar out of this world kind of love the Father has bestowed on us. Because I want to tell you on planet Earth there's no love like that folks. We can't love like that. Only God can love like that. So he begins this chapter And you know, John had a letter. He didn't divide it into chapters and verses. The translators did that to help us find the passages more quickly. So he's not beginning a new chapter in his own mind. He's carrying on talking about being a child of God. And he says, this is glorious and measureless love that the Father shows us in that he is willing to call us children of God. Now here's the question. Do we know with absolute certainty that we are children of God? And I know that there are a lot of people in the world today who would say, Well, of course, we're all children of God. The problem is the Bible doesn't teach that the Bible says that there are two families, two spiritual families and those two spiritual families have different heads. One is the family of God and God is the head of that family and then there's one that is the family of the devil and Satan is the head of that family. You say, really? Well, if Jesus knew what he was talking about, it's true because in John 8, he described the religious, the most religious people of his day as being children of their father the devil because see they were saying oh Abraham is our father we're Jewish people and we're we're accepted with God because we're part of the nation of Israel and he said I got news for you you're not part you are Jews by birth by race even by religion but he says unfortunately spiritually you're still in the category of being a child of the devil why Jesus says because you reject me you don't believe on me the Messiah and so you are following the enemy. How do we know that we're God's children? Warren Wiersbe gave a very interesting illustration in his commentary and I thought it was really helpful in understanding this point. You know the United States Treasury Department has a very special group of men whose job it is to track down counterfeiters. Have any of you ever had a counterfeit bill? I had one only one time, someone gave me a $50 bill, and when I took it in, the person, you know how some of them, will, they used to do this, I don't see them do it so much anymore, but they'd take out this kind of a pen, and they would mark on it, and she says, I'm sorry, but this is not a real bill. And I, of course, I didn't believe her, I kept it, because I was just in case, you know. And I took it to the bank, and the bank confirmed for me that it was a counterfeit, so I was out 50 bucks. But you know how they learn to recognize the counterfeit? You would think that they would study the counterfeit in great detail, right? They don't. You know what they do? They become so familiar with the real thing that they can immediately tell. Some by just looking, and other people, all they have to do is touch the paper, and they know it's the wrong kind of paper, and they know it's not a real bill. So these people spend all of their time studying the real thing so that they can recognize the counterfeit right away when they see it and that seems to be what John is doing in 1st John chapter 3 this chapter is going to divide into two sections verse 1 to 10 has to do with living righteously as a demonstration that we're children of God and then chapter 3 verses 11 to 24 takes up the second truth that if we're truly children of God we'll know it because we love other true Christians Those are his two big arguments in this whole chapter, and I promise only to take six months to teach it to you. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Now, we need to study the real thing. What is the real thing? Listen, the key verse in 1 John chapter 3 is verse 10. So let's look at it very quickly, then we're going to come back and move down through the passage. Verse 10 says, In this, the children of God... And the children of who? The children of the devil are manifest. So John is saying it very clearly. There are children of God and children of the devil. You are not a child of God because you have been created by God. You are a creation of God, but you don't become a child of God until you're born again. Spiritually. Spiritually literally born from above. So he says in this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. In other words this is how you tell the difference between them. Here's two things whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. So in other words if you are living and practicing an ongoing life of sin this is your practice. We're not talking about failing once in a while. We all do that. We all sin. But there's a difference between seeking to live to please God and now and again failing and just living for sin, just living for the flesh, just living for the world. And he says, the first way you know someone's a true child of God is that now they want to live in righteousness. And then secondly, verse 10, he says, nor is he who does not love his brother. Listen, you cannot be a true Christian and say, I just really don't care about the church. I don't care about other people who are Christians. I have my own walk with God. I got my own thing. I don't need the Bible. I, don't know. I have a relationship with God. I'm a child of God. I'm all I need. He says, listen, if you're a true child of God, you will not only love your brethren, you will understand how desperately you need them. Now that's sobering because, and and you say, so you're saying if somebody to go to church that they're definitely not saved. No, I'm not saying that. Because I don't know. Only God knows somebody's heart. But what I'm saying to you is this. Is that people who love God and are children of God will also love the other children of God. That's what he says here. And in the rest of that chapter, he's going to give us a lot of detail about how how that fleshes out. What does that mean exactly? So we will study this together. There are several things, going back up to verse 1, that I want you to notice. First of all, true children of God are certain of their present. If you have your bulletins, you can open up there and you'll see the notes and follow along. There are several things in these verses, down through verse 10, but I'm only going to be covering a couple of them this morning, and then we will pick up next week. No, we won't. Next week is the Mission Sunday. So I'm going to speak on missions next week, and then we'll pick up the week after that. So first of all, true children of God are certain of the present. That means that they are certain that right now they are children of God. Not that they will be someday. Not that eternal life begins someday in heaven and then I become a child of God then. No, you must be a child of God now in order to participate in the then of heaven. And so he says here, Behold, what's the next word, verse 2? Behold, now... We are the children of God. Are you glad today that you can sit in this auditorium and you can say, even though you know you're not perfect, (laughs) but as a child of God, you can say, I know I'm saved, I know I have Jesus Christ in my life, and while I'm not perfect, I'm seeking to live for God. I know I am a child of God. Are you happy to be able to say that today? And I want to suggest to you, you know, if you're not sure, if you you aren't sure that you can say this, please, please come talk to me after the service. I'd love to sit down and help you to understand what it means to be and how to become a child of God. What does being born again really mean? Knowing without a doubt that you're a child of God is important because it gives us eternal hope. You see, once you're a child of God, you can't cease to be a child of God. That's the glory of it all. What God gives, he doesn't take away. He doesn't say, I tell you what, I'm going to give you this gift of being my child, and boy, oh boy, you'd better measure up or I'm going to take it away. How many think you'd make it through if you had to measure up? Boy, I sure know I wouldn't. I wouldn't. That's why when he says, salvation is a what? It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should perish. Now, Boyce in his commentary gives another illustration, which I think is really terrific. I want to read it to you. Please be patient. I think if you listen carefully, you'll get it as I go along. It's a little bit longer, a couple of paragraphs but he's talking about the fact that we're children of God is speaking of the new birth experience and how can we understand what the new birth experience is he says this and I quote it is no accident that the Bible often uses the image of birth in speaking of how God has called men and women into his spiritual family God has given human birth as an illustration of what the new birth means Now, in these next two paragraphs, he's first going to describe human birth and then he's going to make the parallel to spiritual birth. So listen to the details. In human birth, there is first a conception in which the seed of the father unites with the egg of the mother to begin a new life. There is a period of gestation in which that which was begun in such a quiet and small way begins to grow and to take form. At last, there is the actual birth. In the birth, the first cries of the child are heard, and those who stand by rejoice in a new human being. So he's just kind of walked us through the stages of how from conception to birth, we look and we say, it began here, but we visualize it, we see it here by hearing the cries of this newborn baby that has just come out of the womb. That's human birth. Now he can the comparison. In the same way, men and women become God's children when God the Father, listen, of His own will, takes the seed of His Word and plants it within the heart, causing it to unite with the ovum of saving faith, which together begin to grow. At this stage in God's work, those without cannot tell whether spiritual life is present or not. For instance, at the moment a person truly becomes a Christian, I can't say, oh, his eyes just blinked, so now I know he's saved. Only God knows the exact moment of regeneration. Only God does. Now we begin to see the evidences of it, that comes out in time, but it begins with God's work in the heart. Salvation is of God and He knows when you're truly His. Now let me read on. At this stage of God's work those without cannot tell whether spiritual life is present or not, but in time the life within grows and the actual birth takes place. As those standing by hear the public confession of Christ by the newborn they know of the new life and rejoice in it with him and with the father the idea being that God does this work see there's there's been this big argument through the years do you get saved when you pray the prayer or do you get saved before praying the prayer and I think that the vast majority of people get saved before they ever pray the prayer and by the way, you don't have to pray a prayer. Ethiopian unit, Acts chapter 8, prayed no prayer. He just declared his faith and was baptized to identify with Christ publicly. A lot of us think, well, they just prayed the prayer so they're saved. As though because they spoke those little magical words it made them a Christian, that's not the way it is. The act of faith takes place on the inside and it is the work of God through the Spirit using the Word to bring about faith within us. Faith is a gift from God. I'm so excited about this because, folks listen, I know that God saw the moment where in my heart I believed in Him. What if I believed it was the prayer and said, okay, I believe that I got so excited I had a heart attack and died, and never had time to pray, so I guess I'm going to hell, right? No. The act of faith is what results in regeneration and new life in Jesus Christ. And listen, I can't tell when that happened to you. I can't look at you and say, I see it just happened. I can't tell. God can see it. I can't but I'll tell you what's going to happen when that new birth has begun it starts to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and And what begins on the inside pretty soon starts manifesting on the outside and that's for many people when they pray that prayer they're at this point when they pray and it's a verbal expression of the faith that they have already placed in the Lord and then they continue to grow And I tell you, you know some of the most exciting moments for me in the ministry as a pastor is when someone gets up for the first time and tells about how they came to know Jesus as their Savior. Because they're using, with their mouth, they're confessing their salvation. Remember that phrase in Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, with their mouth confession is made, they're confessing their faith. You know my second favorite time is the first time I hear a new believer pray out loud. You want to know why? It's so scary. Do any of you remember how scary it was to pray out loud in front of people in the past? I can remember, for me, I thought, man, who's going to want to hear me pray? These people have been a part of this church for years and years and years. I start praying, and you know what? Sometimes new Christians say things that are kind of kooky, but they don't know better yet. All they know is that they're saved, and they just, you know, I've I've heard some people say some things saying, well, Lord, I'm not exactly what theological book that came out of, but you know, we'll keep working with them. But that first prayer, it's usually with trembling voice. (laughs) They'll they'll pray, but but you hear this is the child. You know what the child is doing? Child is talking to their spiritual father. That's precious. That's precious. And so what he's saying here is that eventually we all get to see it because the evidences are there. They love the Lord. They love God's people. They love the Bible. They're seeking to live in righteousness. And we say, boy, that person sure saved. Why? The evidences are there. And even we who are just human beings, we can see those things in their lives. How glorious to see someone manifesting the reality of their faith. And that's why the Bible says it's so sad when people do not have those things manifested in their lives, then how are we going to know if they're truly saved or not? Now, God knows. Ultimately, it only matters with God, right? Because we don't affect someone's eternal destiny or not. But I want to tell you something. We are meant to encourage one another in the faith. But I can't encourage you in the faith if I don't know if you're in the faith. That's why we have to Spend time together. Folks, I know we're an ordinary bunch, aren't we? Huh? That was supposed to make you smile. Oh, not me. Not you, brother. Just me, right? No, but I mean, I don't think we're too ornery a bunch. I think we get along pretty well. You know what? We ought to want to spend time together. You know, every Sunday we ought we to wake up and say, woo Today, I get to go to church. I get to worship God. I get to be with God's people. I get to sing the hymns and the choruses. I get to listen to the Word. Praise God for the family of God. That's the way we ought to think about Sunday. Amen, brother. Huh? Isn't that what we ought to think? But my question is, how many Sundays we wake up and think, Oh, Lord, it's isn't here again already, is it? Hmm? Lord, I want to sleep. Help me to sleep, Lord. Hmm? Now, I'm I'm just talking about other churches I visited. Never here, of course. But my, my point is simply this, folks. Listen. Being a child of God should mean something. And you know what? Being children of God should mean something to all of us. Together. We are, whether we like it or not, we are a family, and we are going to live together forever. Of course, he's going to fix you all up first, you know. And me too, right? He is. He's going to make us like Christ so that we'll get along forever. Listen, I I love this statement. It is this specific and unique love of God for his own that stands as one of the unshakable foundations of eternal hope. I am his child. I know I will live with him forever. You know what? That helps me get through a tough day. When things aren't going right, when I'm not feeling well, You can know how cheap I am, folks. Um, you know, when I, when I cook stuff, I, I hate throwing anything away. I, I just, I really do, I hate throwing anything away. The problem is when you live alone and you cook for yourself, you know, and you get a package of meat or whatever, you end up cooking the whole package and then you're eating it for days, right? How many identify with that horrible experience? I mean, it's just awful. Well, I had made some chicken. The problem is I made the chicken a week ago or the week, a whole week before I ate the last piece. Wednesday night I ate it, and literally within minutes I knew that I had eaten something that had gone bad. It didn't taste bad, of course, I eat just about anything, so I don't know. But it didn't taste bad, but listen, I was in the bathroom all night, you know, (laughs) producing, You, 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 you know, I've told you enough. But you know what's interesting, folks, is, is when, when I think about this, I know on a, in a bad moment like that, when I'm feeling really miserable, sick, and so I'd say, Lord, the one thing I know is this isn't going to go on forever. Have you ever had a moment when you were maybe sick in the bathroom and, and, and first of all you thought you were going to die and then secondly you were afraid that you wouldn't, you know, <laughs> and that you'd be sick for longer and have to keep suffering? But I want to tell you something, folks, if I had died that night, I would have been in heaven. Because I'm a child of God. Not because I'm great, not because I deserve it, in no way. It's because of the mercy of God and this overwhelming, matchless love that can't even be described. It's so out of this world. Folks, we ought to, we ought, if no other thing that we accomplish today, we should walk out of this church today with our heads held high, not proudly, but rejoicing in God that we know we're his children and we know we'll live with him forever. That ought to be something to stir us toward living a life that pleases God. John 1, verses 12 and 13, As many as received him, To them he gave the right to become, that means literally the authority to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Man has nothing to do with our salvation. We are born of God. 2 Timothy 1.12, for this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, Paul says, I am not ashamed. Why? For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. In the context, he's talking about suffering for proclaiming Christ and that he could die at any moment as a martyr. And he said, listen, I don't care. It doesn't bother me a bit because I know whom I have believed and he's going to keep me for that day. That's what it means to be a child of God. So the salvation of the believer is the result of the Father's great love. Now, this word love is the word agape. It's the agape love of God. And it refers to God's volitional love. That means he chooses to love you. I want to suggest to you folks today that God has no reason to love you and me. We are sinners, we're wicked, we're deserving of eternal judgment. There is nothing in us that makes God want to love us. And so he looked at his creation, which by the way, he created perfectly in the beginning without sin and put a tree in the garden. Not the one they ate of, but the tree of life. And as long as they partook of that tree, they would live forever in the garden, in that beautiful environment of perfection. But what did they do? They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil which was prohibited to them, and they fell into sin. And then God put them out of the garden to keep them from the tree of life. Why? He didn't want to live them to live forever in their sin. And when you think about this, folks, listen. God chose to love a human race that rejected Him in rebellion. That said, I want to be independent of you, God. You may have made me, but I now want to make myself. I want to be my own God. I want to have wisdom like you have, so that I'm on an even par with you. That's what mankind did to God. And yet in spite of it, it said, God... Loved the world. God loved the world. It was volitional love. He chose to love us of His own free will and uninfluenced choice. I got news for you. Nobody stood in heaven and said, God, you really, really, really need to love Kyle because he's some amazing guy. Yeah, I said your name. You should have seen how your wife flinched when I said that. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. There was nobody in heaven to stand there in your sinful condition, Kyle, and say, God, I, I can voucher for him. There was nobody. Nobody. But when he put his faith and trust in Jesus as a gift from God, became a Christian, you know what? He immediately got someone on his side. And that was Jesus who stands at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding on our behalf. And every time we mess up, he says, Father, I can vouch for him. I already paid for that sin. The Lord says, okay, okay, you already paid. But before the foundations of the world, there were nobody hollering on your behalf, Kyle. You know, and by the way, that's true of all of us. I'll give you 50 cents after service for letting me use you as an illustration. Listen, in this the love of God was manifest toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, didn't start with us, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. And that is the satisfaction of God's wrath against our sin, and now stands as our advocate in heaven, our lawyer, and defends us before the Father. What a glorious thing this is. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He said, God didn't say, now you do the best you can and do as much good stuff and when you hit a certain level, then I'll save you. He says, no, while we were still sinners and we had no strength and no power in ourselves to save us, he said, I sent my son to die for you. Ephesians 2.4. But God who is rich in mercy. Aren't you glad God's not poor in mercy? He's rich. He has an abundant supply. And it's mercy. What is mercy? When God doesn't do to us what we deserve. We deserve hell. And God says because of my mercy. I will not send you to hell. I will take you to heaven to live with me forever. Now why is he merciful? But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. He showed mercy because first he loved. And he loved with great love. With measureless love. With unspeakable love. It is not by our works lest any man should boast. Folks, it is the work of God to save us. It's the work of God to save us, not our work ourselves. Now the second thing I want you to notice here is the rejection of the believer is the result of the hatred of the Father by the world. Notice here in verse 1 it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we Believers, true believers, should be called children of God. Therefore, the world, and when he's talking about the world, he's not talking about the planet. He's not talking about the culture. He's literally talking about people in the world who do not know him personally, who are not his children. He says, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Do you know what's the difference between a true Christian and a non-Christian? A true Christian believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and a non-Christian doesn't. Now they may believe in the historical Jesus but we're not talking about that. We're talking about putting your faith and trust in Jesus alone for your eternal salvation. If you have done that you are now a child of God. But if you have not trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone, listen, if you say Jesus plus religion you're in trouble. If you say Jesus plus the Ten Commandments you're in trouble. If you say, Jesus plus baptism, you're in trouble. If you say, Jesus plus not kicking the dog, you're in trouble. If you add anything to what Jesus did on the cross, you cannot be saved believing that because Jesus is the only way to the Father. There was no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No one's going to stand in heaven someday and say, God, I'm here because of Jesus and because of me. Never going to happen. When we get to heaven, the only thing we're going to say is, Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Because it's all of him. John 15, verses 18 and 19, Jesus said to his disciples, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love... So he said, listen, if you were still lost, everybody would love you. Did you see this week there was a... I guess they called it a town hall that the Democrats had. Did any of you hear about that this week? It wasn't one of the debates. It was a town hall. They came in one by one and were asked a series of questions and it was all about the LGBTQ community. It was all related to those kinds of things. Uh, Forgive me, but you know what Beto's last contribution to the political uh, discussion is? He was asked, do you believe that any institution, whether it is a university, whether it is a church, or any other organization does not fully support the rights of the LGBTQ community and by that they don't mean you just acknowledge that they are but rather you must allow them to be a part of who you are in your group no matter what you believe you have to let them in do you believe that they should lose tax exempt status with the government and his immediate response was yes now folks listen to me very carefully I am not here this morning to condemn the LGBTQ community, but what I am going to tell you is that this church believes that homosexuality is a sin. We believe that. And the only reason we believe it is because the Bible says it. We believe in this church, or at least this official church believes that True marriage is between a man and a woman. We believe that. Why? Because the Bible teaches it. This church believes that same-sex marriage Is wrong. It is against what the Word of God teaches. We stand on those issues. And what he's saying is if we won't compromise our beliefs and allow people that practice those things into and become an official part of our organization, then we should lose our tax exempt status. I assure you of this, at least as long as I'm pastor of this church, the day we are forced by the government to do that, we will turn down our tax exempt status. we need to be prepared to stand for truth and the world, guess what, listen, that crowd went crazy when he said that all these groups, whether they're the Catholic universities or the the Christian universities or local churches, religions in other words, your belief doesn't matter you just have to uphold the rights of everybody no matter who they are and whether you agree with them or not and I want to tell you something, my constitution still promises the right of freedom of religion We practice our beliefs and our convictions. And we will do that as a local church. And if the only thing we ever lose is tax-exempt status, I want to tell you something, we won't die. Now, do I want to, Are there benefits to it? Absolutely, there are benefits. But I want to tell you, folks, it's not worth it if we have to compromise. And when he said yes and went on to explain about, you know, all the reasons why he thought that was true, this crowd was just going wild clapping and woo you know, what do you think would have happened if a truly born-again Christian stood up in that crowd at that moment, at that town meeting, and says, I want you to know that I don't believe anything he just said. In fact, the Bible teaches, and then quote scripture, what the Bible says about all of these issues. What do you think would have happened? Do you think they would have said, well, you know, we respect your opinion, and we, we you know, take the mic for a minute, and give us your point of view. Do You think that would have happened? I assure you it would not have happened. Here's my point. Jesus said, if the world hates you, now, it won't hate you probably when you walk into Walmart. Right? We all go in there to buy stuff. We don't usually go in there and say, who's in here I can hate today? You know, I don't think people do that. But if you take a stand for God, you take a stand for the word, and you'll find out very quickly that the world hates true Christians. Because we stand on a book that we believe presents eternal truth. Jesus said, they hate you, just remember, they hated me before they hated you. And in fact, the reason they hate you is because they hated me. They hate me. Do you know how it turns off people sometimes, even in our society today, just to have the name of Jesus invoked in a situation? Oh, you can say God, but don't say Jesus. Oh, too divisive. Folks, he has a name that is above every other name. We proclaim his name. We're not ashamed of his name. Jesus said, because you are not of the world... He says, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. I got news for you. You may have your feet on planet Earth, but you're no longer part of this world. This world is not my home. I'm just a what? Just a passing through. Just a passing through. John 17, 25, Jesus is praying, and he says, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known you that you sent me. He says, Father, I know you, and these men that are following me, these apostles and true Christians, he said, look, they believe in me, and Father, they've embraced me, and so they've embraced you. Aren't you glad today that you are connected to the eternal triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? We belong to him. We're part of his family. We are part of the body of Christ. I don't know if I should try to get started on the next point or not. I think I'm not going to. I'm going to have a stop for today. We said first that we know now that we're children of God. But there's a future aspect to being children of God that we are absolutely confident about as well. We want to talk about that, that we are certain of the future. And I want to tell you why I'm certain of the future. There's only one reason I'm certain of the future. I have the Son of God in my life one of my favorite verses in all the Bible he that hath the Son hath life and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life don't matter if you're a Baptist or a any other kind of what you might be what you need is the Son, if you've got the Son you have life, eternal life life without end I cannot wait. I can't. I mean, I I sometimes, and I'm talking to my my boys, my grandsons, my four grandsons, call me every Saturday because I'm doing fantasy football with them this year, which I have zero interest in. And if you know anything about fantasy football, this week I had three buys, So I was in big trouble, which means three of my players that I'd chosen couldn't play for me this week. So I had to figure out how to switch them around and... You know, I know about as much about that as I do about having a baby. How's that? Um, so, you know, I, I don't know anything. And my grandsons, the oldest is only 14, and he knows, oh, oh, yeah, he had a real good game last week. I will say, how would you know? Your, your team is the Patriots. So how do you know this Cleveland whatever they are? You know, how, how he did. How do you know that? Well, I just know. But you know what I keep trying to remind my little boys of my, my grandsons but this is fine, we can laugh and we can enjoy it, but I tell you there's something a whole lot better than this awaiting us someday eternity in heaven and as much as I love those boys and I'll do fantasy football for them I want to tell you there's not going to be anything that will hold me back when I get to glory, I just can't wait can't wait, can't wait We're children of God. That is so amazing. It should not only humble us, but it should cause us to cry out and praise God for all of His glory. Because that's how He loves you. Father, thank you for the word today. And I pray that you'd take it and Lord, write it on our hearts. We know we're your children because we have your Son in our life. And even though the world may hate us now because the world doesn't know you but we know you because we know you. Lord Jesus, we know the Father. We're a part of the forever family of God and we rejoice in this today. Oh, how our hearts praise you that we can be called the children Bless your word to our hearts, and we'll be careful to praise you for Jesus' sake. Amen. And this has been the Ewok Podcast with Pastor Robbie Locke. We hope you've enjoyed this sermon today, and tune in next week for another sermon and from this passage. If you'd like to contact us, send us an email, and we will get back to you as soon as we can. Thanks. Enjoy the rest of your day.